I've heard some feedbacks like, oh, can we stop talking about the virus a little bit for a little while, uh, you know, recognizing it still has a big hold in our life, but we wanted to return just to the, um, the Gospels a little bit and to sit at Jesus' feet. And uh, the, the whole Gospel of John is like a big hug. I mean, it's like to, to be embraced by Jesus Christ and see the Father's love for him. Um, and we've been going through the Gospel of John individually. If you have uh, the devotionals that we've been producing, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and that's been our conviction to go through that book together. And so we released part two or volume two last week. And so if you did not get that last week, make sure you get a copy of what the writing team has done uh, to provide these daily prayers and daily guided devotions through the Gospel of John. We'd love to have, give you that as a gift. In the meantime, we wanted to settle down for just a few weeks into the Gospel of John and to look at the I Am statements of Christ, where Christ declares who He is to the world. And we know that the significance of, the, of saying I am something, it means it's an identity for Him. But it also has huge biblical significance because when He uses that word, that phrase, I am, He's talking about and He's referring to God Himself, Yahweh in the Old Testament, who was the great I am, the I am who that I am. And so at the same time of saying His identity, He is declaring Himself to be one with the Father, God Himself, and we want to come to his statement today on him saying that he is the light of the world. So we're going to read this together. John chapter 8, verse 12 and following. Let's read together. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of Two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Going down to verse 25, he said, they said this to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. There's an old uh, anecdote, joke, actually dates back to the uh, 1920s, most people think. It's, uh, it's the story of the drunk man and the streetlight. You guys know that story, right? The, the drunk man under the streetlight. Let me remind you, if you're not familiar with it, there's a, just this story about a man who is drunk, 
and he is searching in a field for his keys. And a policeman walks over to him and says, um, you know, what have you lost? And the man said, I lost my keys. And so the policeman agrees to search with him for the keys. And so they start looking uh, under this street light where the drunk man was to find the keys. After a few minutes, the policeman asks, since they're not being very successful at finding them, he says, are you sure that you lost them right here? And the drunk man says, no, I lost them somewhere in this big field. And so the policeman says to him, then why are we looking only right here? And the drunk man replies, because the light is better here. This is where I can see. Now, that story has become so ingrained in our psychology and uh, sociology literature, it actually has a name now that people refer to. They refer to it as the streetlight effect. The streetlight effect, or sometimes the drunkard's search principle. And it refers to this idea that we have a bias in our thinking towards the things that we already understand. We tend to look for things in the places where we most often think that they might be found. And we return to those places over and over again. Do we only look for truth in places where it's easiest for us to find? When it comes to a life of faith and a belief in Jesus Christ, this can begin to trouble us, can it? Do I really believe that Jesus is the truth? Is He possibly the lamp that I'm most comfortable sitting under? And there's a whole field of truth out there, and maybe this is just the one that I'm most comfortable with. Whether you're a Christian or not, perhaps, perhaps the things that you believe are biased in some kind of way, we think. What if we really believe something because our culture or our friends or the area where we grew up, that's, that's where it's more popular, and so that's why I believe that, because I was culturally conditioned to believe it, perhaps. Perhaps I only believed something because my parents believed it, and therefore it was passed down to me, and that's the light, that's the lamppost under which my search for the truth has, has consisted, and perhaps there's a greater field of truth which I haven't explored yet. Perhaps my experiences, my reactionary experiences even, the things that I don't want to be true, the things that I avoid at all costs, my bad experiences lead me away from certain things and towards others? Is there a certain lamp under which I feel the most comfortable searching? Certainly many people would encourage us to think about our faith as that way. That, that the Christian faith, the one that we're professing and believing this morning, is uh, one sliver, one illuminated sliver of a field of truth that many people have a claim to. Certainly, they say, Christianity has some true things. But isn't it more likely that the truth is found in a combination of different things? And that different people have different lights on different parts of the field of truth? Isn't that more likely? They say. The problems with that are many, from a logical and a coherent standpoint, as many people have pointed out, I'll just point out a couple of those. First, and most obviously, which is, 
Who gets to decide which parts of which thing are true? Who gets to be the arbiter of truth? Who gets to say this sliver of Christianity is true and this sliver of another worldview is true and, and piece them together? The underlying assumption to that is that the one who says that, the enlightened person, is more enlightened than everyone else in the room and therefore they are the ones that can see. But there's no reason to believe that that person has the corner on the truth any more than anyone else. That's a problem. The other problem that many have pointed out is that you can't actually adopt these worldviews without taking their exclusive claims. So in other words, what is the form of Christianity or any other worldview if we, don't, if we throw out the specific claims that they make that are exclusive? You have to throw out certain things that would seem to be the heart of what the Christian faith is in order to accept parts of it. And then again, you're back to the first problem. Who gets to decide which parts and why? One of those exclusive claims that you'd have to throw out is the statement that Jesus makes at the beginning of this passage today. He says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The setting that Jesus is in right there is he's in the temple, and it's right after the Feast of Booths. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But he comes into this crowded place where there are people streaming all over the place, and he begins to yell and he begins to teach them, I am the light of the world. Light of the world. Not a sliver of the field of truth, but the light of the whole world. And in me, there is a light of life itself. It's found in me. So Jesus has a bold claim that we need to examine this morning. This is his claim. What you're looking for is found in me. Whatever it is, whatever you're looking for is found in me. That's his claim. In my light, you will see light. And the question, it's a fair one, that the Pharisees have for Jesus is, who gives you the right to say that? That's what they ask him. Verse 13. You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Just because you say that you're the light of the world doesn't mean that you are the light of the world. That's a relevant question. We believe Jesus is the light of the world. Why? Because he says so? Is that circular reasoning? Is that just looking where the light shines the brightest for us in our experience? What gives him the right to come into the busy temple of my life where there is lots of stuff going on and lots of, lots of activity and lots of uh, longings and lots of desires and to say, it's found in me. That the way to get what you're looking for is found in me. And Jesus answers that question to the Pharisees by saying that he has three kinds of authority. And the result is that many believe in him because he makes these claims. So let's look at the three kinds of authority that Jesus has in this passage. First, he says that he has innate authority. He has innate authority. Authority comes from him, from himself. Look at verse 14. Jesus answered them, 
Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Excuse me. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now there's a lot going on in this setting that we need to unpack for just a second. What he's talking about here, and he refers to it later in the passage, is um, you have this law that is that there are two witnesses required for something to be confirmed in a, in a legal court. That comes from the Old Testament law. Two witnesses. It, it prevents this, he said, she said, approach to justice. You must have two witnesses. And they come to him and they say, you're just bear witnessing about yourself. But Jesus says to them, that's right, I do bear witness about myself. But there's something you don't know. You don't know where I come from. You don't know that I came from the throne room of God. That that Old Testament law that was set in place originated with me. I'm the one who said you should have two witnesses. I'm the one who stands above that law. I invented the two-witness model. And I am the light. So innately, I have this authority in myself. It's a bold claim. And he's rooting himself in the story of history, saying, the, I am the I am. I am the one who can make this judgment. I actually don't make a judgment, he says here. What does he mean? He means, I, I'm, not, I'm not a part of your law. I'm above your law. I don't have to prove. I don't have to make a judgment. Because I am the law. You have to understand something else too. The setting that they're in. Um, This is sometimes, it's amazing to me that we don't think this way sometimes, but uh, there's no artificial light in the scriptures. You know that, right? There's There's no turning on the switch. And so when they talked about light, they were talking about burning light. They're talking about fire. That's the only kind of light that they had. And there's all kinds of things going on here in this passage that we need to see because Jesus is standing, we're told later in the passage, in the temple when he does this. And we know that this is the time of the Feast of Booths. So he chooses this moment to talk about an Old Testament celebration that they still celebrated. What was the Feast of Booths? They remembered two parts of the Old Testament Israel story in the Feast of Booths. And they had two ceremonies in the Feast of Booths that would uh, help them remember what the story said. So they would have a time of pouring out water. And what that signified was the pouring out of the water from the rock. It was God's provision in the Old Testament. Let's remember when God gave us water from the rock. That was at the Feast of Booths. And the second ritual that was done at the Feast of Booths was the lighting of the great torches. So you have to imagine that Jesus is in the temple and it's crowded and everybody's crowding around. This is actually the area where people brought their money. And so they're, they're bringing their offering and it's stacking up into these huge vats. And then above that is the torches, the four torches that they would light. Huge. A big wick at the top of each one. 65 liters of oil approximately. Huge lanterns. A priest would get on a um, a ladder and, and climb up to the top to, to light this during the Feast of Booths. And that signified, just like the water signified the, 
the provision of God. The light signified the presence of God. It was hearkening back to the time when there was a great pillar of fire that led Israel through the wilderness. It was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they would illuminate the temple with these torches. And they would have a dance party. And they would have a feast. And it would go all through the night as these torches just showed light from everywhere reminding them God's presence is with His people. The cloud by day and the fire by night, many think that was two different things. I think actually those were the same things, just to look different during the day and at night. A shimmery cloud in the daylight, and then at night, the burning fire could be seen and would guide them and show them that God was near to them. Many people think that the cloud that covered the fire was to veil the people of God from the actual presence of God upon which no man can look, scriptures tell us. And so the cloud covered his presence and they let them know he's here, but he's at somewhat remove from you. And all of this was not just a reminder of the past presence of God, it was then picked up in the prophets as the future hope of God was envisioned as a bright light, a burning light. And so we have in the closing of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, some of the last words before the Old Testament closes, tells us that Malachi says, you who fear his name, the, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. They were looking for the sun, the S-U-N, sun to come and brighten their way. And so it's so significant when John the Baptist is born and Zechariah's father prophesies over him in Luke chapter 1. This is after the intertestamental period. You've got Malachi, then you've got a space of several hundred years, and then you have the New Testament. And this is what he says about John the Baptist who's coming. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's saying, you're preparing the way for that Son of Righteousness proclaimed in Malachi. And so, Jesus comes upon the scene, goes into the temple during the Feast of Booths, sets himself up when the, when the uh, wicks of the, of the temple have been put out, the Feast of Booths is over, and he says, those may be extinguished, but I am the light that you're looking for. I'm the light of the world. I come with righteousness, with healing in my wings. I come to give light to those who sit in darkness of the shadow of death. I come to guide your feet into the way of peace. Everything that you may be looking for is found in me. I have that authority. He's asking first for a moment of trust and faith beyond reasoning. A stepping out to saying, I believe in this. 
You are the light. Because Jesus proclaims himself, I am the sun. I am the pillar of fire. And like the cloud that covered the fire of the presence of God, so my flesh covers the presence of God. As we sing at Christmas time, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. He's covered so that he can be with the people of God. He says first, believe it or not, and you can believe it or not, I have this authority in and of myself. It's not the only kind of authority he has. Secondly, he has granted authority. Not just innate authority, granted authority. He says first, my testimony is enough, but let's play the two-witness game if you want to. I don't need to, but he says in verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, is it, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. There are two witnesses here. And many won't understand what Jesus does here, but what he's saying is this. He's making a very powerful argument. I do the work of my Father. And that's powerful in that culture because identity came from the Father. In fact, the rest of the, of the chapter of John 8 is arguing about this whole idea of who is the Father and who is the Son. Is it the Pharisees or is it Jesus Christ? Because in this culture, you would honor the Father. What the Father did, the Son did. Later on in the chapter, the Pharisees are going to say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus is going to say, if Abraham were your father, you'd do the works of Abraham. And they're going to say, are you calling us illegitimate children? We can trace back our lineage to Abraham, and so we are sons of God. They say the sons of Abraham are the sons of God. And Jesus says, if you are the son of God, then you would love me. Because I came from God. And I always live to please him, as he says here in this passage. He says, in fact, to them, your father is the devil. Intense argument in the public square, fighting out who is the father. And so Jesus is saying, making a claim, believe it or not. I have innate authority, but also I have the authority of the Father. God is my Father. And so therefore, what I say is true. It's been given to me. And so I am the light of the world. I'm not just the light of your personal faith. I'm not just a sliver of the field of truth for you. I actually come from the throne room of God. I come from the Father Himself. The one that you, Pharisees, He's speaking to them, believe in. You believe in the Father, but you don't see that I'm from Him. Not only that, we're told that those of us who believe this, not just will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life the light of life. He's saying this granted authority that's been given to me helps you have something to share with the world because 
I am the light. Not just for your personal walk, but for everyone. Went on a trip a couple years ago to the lava caves of Flagstaff. Anybody been to the lava caves before? Pretty, pretty epic experience. There's lava, old lava tubes that run underground, and you can hike in there. It's a couple miles. And it's very dark, very cold. It's all underground. And I went with a group of pastors. We called it our post-Easter decompress. It's right after Easter. Get away for a day. And we went down into the ground, and it was so dark. And I think a lot of us assume that in the darkest places, if you light a, a, a light of some kind, then it will travel further because of how dark it is. Now, it's true that you can see light for further away um, if, if it's very, very dark. But actually, there is, there is such a thing. I don't know if you've ever been in deep darkness where the darkness overwhelms the light. And it's, if you have a weak light, you won't actually see better because it's so dark. And I had a weak light that day. <laughs> As I walked down in there, I had a headlamp on that was too weak. And I kept stumbling on things. And I fell and skinned my knee, and I could feel it like bleeding under my jeans, you know. And, uh, but I didn't say anything. I just, I just bore it through. But <laughs> in the presence of deep darkness, you need more than a weak light. And friends, we have the light of life. We don't carry a weak light around, even though some of us treat it that way. Jesus comes into the deep darkness that surround us, surrounds us, and I think most of us agree that there's some deep darkness that surrounds us here. Culturally speaking. Religiously speaking. And he says, I'm from the Father. I bear witness about the truth. The whole truth. We have the light of life. Don't be ashamed of this light on our elder retreat this week we went on an elder retreat for two days and we studied the book of second timothy together four chapters we're so encouraged to to come back and 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 bring this truth this the way the truth and the life jesus christ the gospel being so fundamentally needed right now and in second timothy he says this in the first chapter of eighth verse he says do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because, our works, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested, hear this, through the appearing of the Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Be ashamed of this testimony. The light of Christ is the light of the world. And when we trust in Christ, He manifestly brings truth to the world. The final form of authority that Jesus has, He doesn't just have innate authority. doesn't just have granted authority from the Father. He has demonstrated authority. Look at verse 27. They did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, 
When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. The final form of authority that Jesus Christ has is the one that He demonstrates in the cross. The reason that He can say, I am the light of the world, is because He staked that claim in His own death for the life of the world. (coughs) Ultimately, His authority is revealed in His sacrifice. When the light of the morning star will shine on you, when the light of the world will be revealed, when you believe in Him, you believe not just in one who came from heaven, and not just one who has the will of the Father behind Him, but in the one whose very mission on earth was to die so that you might have life in His name. And He stakes His authority in that claim. Anyone though not many will, anyone can stand in the middle of a crowded temple and yell that they are the light. Anyone, as we see here with the Pharisees who try the same tactic, can say that they come from God and that God is their Father. But there is exactly one person who is suitable to give his life for the life of the world. And it was in that moment when the Son of Man is raised up, when you see Him on the cross, you will know that what I said here today about being the pillar, the presence of God, is true. It's revealed in this moment. Ultimately, it's not just what Christ says, but what He did that makes us believe that He has the light. Many of you have heard my story about almost dying in Iowa, but I'm going to recount it quickly one more time because it's relevant. I was on the way to Sioux City, Iowa, driving and ran out of gas. The only time in my life I've run out of gas. Start of a snowstorm. No one on Interstate 29. I was coming home from Nebraska to go home to my parents who lived in Sioux City, Iowa at the time. And I just, this fear began to grip me. People die in their cars all the time in these cold states. There's nobody around. I don't have any way of getting help except to walk towards two directions. And both of them had lights. That's all I could see out there. The snowstorm, no headlights anywhere, just a light in front of me to the north and a light behind me to the south. And I had to choose which light I was going to follow. And I chose wrongly at first. I chose north. And I started out towards that light. And I got close enough after walking several miles to realize that that light was just a light on the side of an abandoned or maybe just closed up for the snowstorm uh, factory. And there was no town there. It was just something off the interstate and there was nothing there. And so then I had to bend my will to go back the miles already gone and trudge back to the south where there was another light, one I could barely see. And I started out that way And after many miles coming back and then many miles going the other way, I discovered what was my salvation. Literally, a little two-pump gas station that had the ability to give me gas and I could take it back to my car and then fill up and drive back to them so that I could fill up and then get home. 
There was a step of faith there towards the light. Required things of me. All of my life was before me. I mean, I could have died out there. And all the things that would eventually happen, finishing college, getting a career, you know, a calling here to the church, getting married, having my three kids, and all these things were before me. But in that moment, I needed not to freeze to death on I-29. And my only hope was a light. So in a sense, everything in my life was riding on that light. To believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world requires a step of faith toward Him. To see that your life is going to be filled with many things. It's going to be filled with careers and it's going to be filled with um, relationships and ups and downs and lots of things are going to happen. But the all-important thing is that you're moving in the right direction toward the light. It requires that, to put your faith in Him, to agree with Him that He is the light of the world, to put everything in that basket first because He is either the light of the world or He is no light at all. It's the difference between a crazy person yelling in a temple and the one who has all the answers. To say that you can slice and dice and find out what slivers of the truth are here is dishonest. It's not to take him at his word. And his word is this. I am the light of the world. And the result was, in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in his name. Why? Because he just said, I'm the light? Yes. He made the claim, and people believed him. Millions have believed him. Millions have trusted. Billions have trusted in him. The word of Christ is mysterious and powerful. And we believe that the word of God does what its intended purpose is by saying it. It engenders faith in the hearts of the people, or they walk by. And so the most powerful thing we can do is to just hear his words again and see where it lands on us. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And at this moment, same as in the temple that day, as people were everywhere around him, and as he spoke, even the same this morning, some will brush past that, some will ignore some may even scoff or wish that he would be quiet. And others, perhaps many, will believe. Will feel the stirring of the Holy Spirit inside of them, engendering faith in Jesus Christ. Believing his innate authority, his granted authority, and believing ultimately in what he did for us on the cross. That faith grows in us because of what Jesus claims. He is the one who is lifted up before us, the Son of Man, before us today. Do you see him as the one who has the answers, the light for everything? Because he is the light of the world. If you don't want to walk in darkness anymore, you follow him. Let's pray.